Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Today, joining us on the podcast is Drew Povey. At the age of 32, Drew became one of the youngest ever head teachers in the UK when he became the head of Harrapfold School in Salford in the north of England. In 2017, Harrapfold School became the focus of the Channel 4 TV show Educate in Manchester, which documented the day-to-day life of the school. Drew is now a sought-after speaker at conferences and leadership events alike, both nationally and internationally, on the concept of multi-sector approaches to leadership. His unique view and approach have positioned him as an innovative, oh god, can I say that leadership coach and leadership <laughs> development specialist? Easy for you to say, Steve. Drew has a wealth of experience working alongside leaders from within education, the police, the NHS, elite-level sport charitable and voluntary organisations, and the national and international businesses. His passion is to develop people and inspire excellence, supporting leaders to achieve their short and long-term goals and in doing so, be the best leaders that they can be. He tweets at Drew Povey. The podcast by educators, for educators, the EduFuturist Podcast. Drew, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Good evening, gents. That was that was some introduction. Uh, I'm just wondering whether we should make a very short podcast finish it here because I have a feeling it might all go downhill from there. <laughs> it can't get any worse than my me trying to say innovative. Um, <laughs> say it again, you did well then. Well done. Inno- innovative leadership coach <laughs> and leadership development. Look at that. I'm yeah. proud of you, Steve. It was good. <laughs> Drew, uh, it, you know what? It's it's fantastic to have you on here. We've, uh, I think we try we've been trying to get you on for a few months now, so it's great to have this chat. And, uh, and like we said just before we went live, uh, it's, it's just a kind of relaxed conversation, and we just want to kind of get into and get your take on um, leadership first of all, because that's kind of that's your thing, and how that is going to link with the the future of education, the kind of leadership we need. So, could you maybe just give us a bit of an introduction into the 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 types of st- stuff that you do, the, the talks on leadership and, and kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge passion of mine. I refer to myself um, in the most positive sense, I think, as a leadership geek. I uh, love everything about it. Um, and I have been kind of hooked on it since I started coaching, I think, at the age of 15. And I've always believed that leadership's the thing that can make the difference uh, in in pretty much every situation. And it started off with me being a sports coach and I quickly got into elite sport um, and I could see the benefit that leadership would have in developing people and getting them to be the best version of themselves. Then it went into education, which was, you know, a wonderful time I had working with young people and with staff and with a whole range of different stakeholders, including governors, um, you know, some of the brilliant work that happens there and seeing the impact that leadership and leadership work can have. And then now, of course, in the business world, in the policing world, in the uh, world of NHS, it's just great seeing people develop um, because it's tough out there at the moment in all sectors. And I believe that, passionately believe that the one thing I think that can really shift the needle on things into the future is leadership couldn't agree more and i suppose that idea around um school leadership and learning from business i think is is something that i know that you are passionate about and that there's probably some well there's a lot of crossover from elite sport into education and business into education and we're we're um 
trying to be innovative in our in our approach to education in the future. And what do you think, what are the kind of things do you, that you've taken from those different arenas that you think might be applicable in the leadership of education? Yeah, I mean, that is a, a fantastic question because I don't think there's enough crossover between the sectors. You know, if you go into um, education, there's some incredible things that happen there. You know, I say this regularly, teachers do make great leaders. And, you know, they, if you think about what um, a teacher does in a classroom with a group of students, that is fabulous leadership. You know, if, and I think uh, anyone who's been in a classroom in terms of educating kids and anyone who's taught 9D on a Friday afternoon when it's windy outside from the sun, <laughs> what leadership is. And, you know, or if you've taught a, a tricky year three class when it's snowing outside, you know what leadership is. So I think there's a lot we can take from education to say, you know, this is how we challenge and support. This is how we create a vision. This is how we give people confidence to be bigger and better than they ever thought they could be. You know, those kind of aspects we can take into the other arenas. I think some of the stuff they do in sport around teams and the benefit of teams, you know, people having their role within a team, which we don't do particularly well in a lot of other sectors you know you don't have Cristiano Ronaldo playing in goals you know you wouldn't do that or you wouldn't have the mighty Jordan Pickford from my beloved Everton playing up front even though he can pretty much do anything he wants in my eyes the <laughs> point, the, I think the, the, the point is there's great learning from sport and of course what they do in business how they track and drive performance in business what they're doing in the police, uh, you know, the care side um, aspect and the connect side aspect within the police. And of course, you know, the way that NHS nurses, I'm fortunate enough to have worked with the Lung Cancer Nurses Association for a number of years and what they do in terms of patient care and, and how they get to work. A pretty broken system, actually, where, the, you know, there really isn't the money. There's all this great stuff happening out there. I'm not always sure we're good at connecting the dots and you know it's a it's a real privilege and a huge passion of mine to help connect some of those dots and say let's look at the learning and the good stuff from everywhere and share that learning across because what you will see is educators very often learn from education business business sport from sport etc etc so there's a lot of crossover and we should be sharing more good practice because as I said earlier it really is tough out there and these are quite unprecedented times that we're living in. Um, so therefore, we need to share the experience, share the expertise and take our organisations to the next level through that. It's really interesting that you mention that because we talk a lot on this podcast about um, linking students with business so that they, they know the type of working world they're going to go into and what skills they're going to need to learn in order to, to kind of work in the businesses um, of the now and the future. Uh, but I like that. I like that idea of bringing business in, not not to work with students, but to work with the staff and to work with the leadership team of a school, so they can they can pick up tips and 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 look at the leadership techniques from from the world. Is it? Do you ha do you know of anywhere where that's happening? Um, do you know if it if if that type of thing can be successful? Yeah, I mean, I think it can, it can happen in a number of ways. I mean, at, at Harrop, we used to bring businesses in regularly, and the police in and the NHS came in. You know, and we would share ideas with them about how we were doing things in school, which they would pick up loads. And these are some of the biggest businesses in the world that, that came to visit uh, Harrop. And of course, it does work when business stays in the school and gives some of their intel as well. Interestingly, I was at the Thinkers 50, which is one of the biggest uh, leadership event, leadership and management thinkers event uh, in the world. And they gave a lifetime achievement award to a woman called Rosa Beth Cantor. 
and she made a great speech at the end of this and she had various comments made by the great and the good from leadership people like tom peters had spoken about rosa bath about how great she was but she was really keen to talk about the fact that we need to prepare young people for the world we need to give them the leadership skills and the resilience skills to be able to go out as steve jobs said and make a dent in the universe and i thought that was really interesting so she was certainly hinting at that um i just don't think we do enough of it and i understand why that is you know people are very busy i think there's some great mentorship programs that have seen there were some great ones in greater manchester where you get people from big business coming into the schools and doing some one-to-one mentoring some small group talks uh, with young people and i think we need to explore that more because a lot of schools have struggled with things like work experience because of the curriculum demands that are on schools with the timings that we have that seems to have been edged out and marginalized and we've probably lost quite a bit of that but i do know a number of schools now are kind of uh, writing that wrong and, and looking at ways in which they can do that. Yeah, that kind of, that's a kind of thing that fits on your um, on your stuff as well, doesn't it, Dan? In terms of careers and and that connection, and yeah. um, I know that's something that we've talked about at, at Burnley College as well in terms of that new T levels and need to get working um, in industry. And it, I suppose that's a that's a, that's a big deal. It is. I mean. I've said this on a number of forums now, so if people have listened to my stuff before, I'll apologise in advance, but I'm extremely passionate about this. Like most things in life, you've got to strip it back to the core purpose, uh, as Jim Collins would talk about in his books. And what is the purpose of education? You know, if we ask ourselves that question, what's it for? You know, why do we have it? And actually, it's about preparing kids for life. And if we're going to prepare kids for life, properly then we're going to have to look at what is happening in the world of work and create a better connect so that when young people do leave school they are ready for the world of work they understand the world of work we're not just sending kids out with a whole host of exams but they're just not ready for what the next stage of life will you know undoubtedly throw their way yeah and you know just as you're talking there i'm thinking we've got as an education sector we've got so much to learn from business and it and i was reading recently about how you know 20 30 40 years ago the the businesses survived because they they grew to be huge but now businesses survive because they change so often and that's the only way businesses can can survive because we we live in such a changing world in terms of technology we talk about um the fourth industrial revolution and how technology has just grown. It's grown almost out of control and businesses have to keep up with that. They have to keep up in an ever-changing market. And, and that, and businesses understand that they understand they need the need to, to be able to, to change quickly and adapt. And, and I just think that's such a vital lesson for our, for our schools. And especially when, you know, the way our education system is set up in the UK with, with, with the department of education and, and we have a we seem to have a new government every few months at the minute. So like it's it, things can't get done. They can't get done. They can't change quickly. So and and it starts to stagnate a bit. And our education system starts to stagnate. And we we get stuck in the in the way we've always done it. We get stuck in the the kind of Victorian style of teaching that 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 we we still seem to have. When and you look around the world and and other countries are progressing so much with this. And you think are we are we just falling back? Are we are we ever going to catch up? And and I th- just think 
yeah, I think I know I'm waffling here, but I think we we need that um, that lesson from business that we need to change and we need to start changing quickly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting point you raise. I would agree with an awful lot of that. Um, and I don't want to get on my soapbox for too long with this. But um, I would also say that businesses do struggle to change. Uh, yeah. But what happens when a business struggles to change? They become a blockbuster or they become a Woolworths, you know, who who just literally keeled over and died. That doesn't seem to happen in schools, but they get in bad places. Are you guys familiar with Seth Godin, the famous marketeer and business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I was listening to, to something he was saying um, earlier this week, and he was talking about the idea of fearing failure. And there is quite a lot of that in the world. But his argument was, are we actually fearing the failure or is it that we're fearing the criticism? And right. when I heard that, I thought, my goodness, that I think is what's happening in education. You know, people are petrified to do anything that might cause some form of criticism on them. Um, you know, and I'm not saying everybody here because there are some people, you know, what, what Chris Dyson has done uh, up at Parklands, what people like Jeremy Hannay have done, you know, they're going out and blazing the trail. But it, that's that's really hard. And, you, you know, you have to have a very strong set of governance. Uh, well, you have to have a very strong set of governors, but there has to be strong governance for you to be able to do that. But I think creating those waves um, is something that, we struggle to do in education because we are heavily policed by Ofsted. You know, we, we have to talk about that because it is a fear factor for many people, um, you know, that we have that. And then we have the exam system, which not everybody agrees with the exam system. And because of that, it does mean that people are perhaps not doing some of the things that they think are right. But I would say that change is always difficult. You know, as the famous saying goes, the only people that like change is a baby with a dirty nappy. And, you know, depending on when your listeners are listening to this, I hope I've not put anybody off the food, but it's a point. Um, I would say that having had three boys, I don't even think babies with a dirty nappy like change. And people in their businesses don't like to change. Even the people you find that are the most miserable people you will come across, they still don't want to change because people like that level of kind of consistency. And even if they're not particularly happy in the workplace, at least it's something familiar to them. So the whole change agenda is it's a big one. And I don't actually think that's just in education. I think it's in all sectors, you know, um, public and private. I think there's an issue with that across the board. Uh, a good mate of mine, Steve Oakes, who does the Vespa mindset work. Um, Love Vespa. Yeah, well, he's, he's great, Steve. And, you know, the stuff him and, uh, and Martin have produced is, is strong. And, and there's some really good ways of creating change. He knows a lot about the MTQ48, the Mental Toughness Questionnaire 48. And from the research they did, they said that teachers were one of the lowest um, workforces they looked at in terms of the challenge element, which is around challenging yourself to change. And I don't think it's because teachers are sitting there saying, well, I think I know exactly what I need to do and nobody can tell me anything. Of course, we'll always get that in every sector with a few people. But I think it's because of the structure of education means that some people won't want to put their head above the parapet because there's the fear of criticism, the Seth Godin point. So I've tried to link a few things together there and hope I've managed to do that and not just rambled. But I think change is happening or change is... Um, a struggle to happen 
in pretty much all sectors, but I think it's particularly discreet in education because of the parameters that are put on schools and the targets they've got to hit and the way they've got to operate. Just to jump on the back of that, why? how will we improve that though? Because unless, does it does it come from top down? I mean, I know you mentioned kind of some schools that are blazing a trail there, but in terms of a, of a, a nationwide um, change in this and, and to be fair to our kids across the whole the whole country how do how does it come from a top down well i mean i think again you'd expect me to say this being a leadership geek but i do think it comes down to leadership yeah a lot of the the work i do at the moment is about encouraging um courage because you know we we talk about leaders being courageous but in actual fact how, how do you get somebody to be courageous do we go down to the pub on a friday night have a couple too many drinks and we do something courageous or is it that we wake up in the morning with a feeling of being uh, courageous and go out and do something actually we need to understand how we get people in the position to do that I think there are a number of ways of doing it but ultimately it's going to come down to courageous leaders if you look at anybody that's changed the sector you know we'll take one of the most famous examples uh, being Steve Jobs at Apple you know he went back in 1996 1997 he became CEO now they were in a a very competitive personal computer market and were losing and we had about 350 different you know lines of inquiry in terms of R&D that they were looking at and then you know we decided to go into this thing called the iPod which had been tried and somebody else had failed but they went into it and then the iPhone and it was being opportunistic I think in the thinking but it took a whole lot of courage to kind of say, well, I kind of see where the landscape is at the moment. And actually, it's time to start doing something different. And again, if you twin this with that idea of fear of criticism, you know, you can kind of start to make sense of what's happening there. But ultimately, without wanting to be uh, too overarching in a comment, I do think it will come down to leaders being courageous and being trained in that and being supported in that to actually go out there and do something different yeah and I, I think that's one thing it's that we've talked about a few things there but that resilience courage and all that kind of stuff when you're new to leadership at any level so if you're stepping up to be a head of department or as you develop through those stages is there a mechanism for for heads um at, at high schools and, and primary schools that they go through something like that i, I don't think there is I don't think there is at the moment, no. I mean, um, the National College of uh, Leadership and Management and through the National College of Education, they're doing some great master's degrees, like some really good stuff. And I I speak on a couple of those. They're doing an MBA as well, um, particularly for education leaders, but but for all leaders. I, I think there's some really good course content out there, which needs to be theoretical, yes, but more importantly, it needs to be practical. But I think we've got a, a great opportunity with new leaders coming in because yeah. they have a lot of the bias that we have when we've been doing the job for 10 years. You know, we all get a bit older, and maybe, maybe a bit more cynical in, in our approach. But, you know, I love working with young leaders who are coming in and going, well, my goodness, we can change the world. And they're trying things out all the time. And uh, a, a phrase I've used, which I stole from Tom Peters, uh, the business guy over uh, in America, was the idea of reimagine. Uh, he stole it from the New York Times. And I, I remember seeing this, that they put a big ad out in the New York Times after the Twin Towers had been knocked down. And the ad said, you know, 
about the Twin Towers being knocked down, the ad was, don't rebuild, reimagine. Now, I, I love that yeah. term because actually I think that's where business is. I think that's where teaching is. That's where education is. That's where the police is, the NHS. We've got to reimagine how we do things. You know, expectations are not going down, guys. Uh, money is, is going down. So if you've got expectations going up and finances going down, we're going to have to do things differently. We've got to reimagine. Me being me, I kind of went away and said, well, that word reimagine is great, but how do you do it? And share with lots of leaders, which, you know, I'll, I'll share with you very quickly now. For me, it was about being creative, but creating a creative environment. Then it was about innovation. And I think innovation is different to creativity because creativity on its own just sits there you know like a lot of people are creative in the pub on a friday night but that doesn't mean they do anything about it on saturday morning so the innovation is the creativity in action um which is where you start to work the ideas up then it's about trying uh, phase three is about just go out there and try it why not why not us let's let's do it let's take a calculated risk another part of reimagine fourth part will be to fail um, which you dig into the Matthew Syed stuff then. I love his stuff and been fortunate to be on the stage with him a couple of times and his book on black box thinking about learning from failure. Failure is a good thing because it can teach us a lot if we handle it in the right way and actually using that failure to do things better into the future. It does take you out of your comfort zone, but again, that's a good thing. And if we create the creative environment, innovate, try, fail, I think the last thing is you're going to have a whole lot of fun when you're working in an environment like that. So I think the reimagine imperative is huge for all business at the moment. And, you know, again, I talked to a lot of leaders about that, but I think it's big for us in education. I think we need to reimagine how we do things in a number of ways. And that does take, again, twinning that reimagine work alongside being courageous, I think is really important. And if we allow our leaders to go out and reimagine, I think some quite incredible things can happen and will happen. Yeah, and, and I suppose you talked about reimagine, and and we we must have all seen the the documentary, um, and and the, the problems that you had when you first became the head at, at Harrow Fold. How did you start to then reimagine that in terms of the, the, the failing school to actually people said it couldn't be done, and and you did it. So how how did that work? Well, the, the actual um, being the worst school in, in the country, you know, it was a huge team effort and I wasn't head then, but it was a huge team effort. And the, the kids were fantastic in that as well, driving that forward and the community getting behind the school. But when we had to deal with the debt, you know, that was tough because people were coming in and saying, this is just not doable. You know, when you've got this amount of debt, you've got a falling school role, you're in a PFI building. PFI could stand for many things and if you've got a debt pretty flipping impossible or words similar to that I think would would pretty much sum it up and it was really difficult and I was looking around at the time I was still working in elite sport so I was getting ideas from from sports and reading an awful lot on leadership and trying things out and failing a lot along the way but I would say that it was a huge team effort and you know never ever underestimate the power of people people who care about the cause can literally do incredible things ordinary people do do extraordinary things regularly and it certainly wasn't me i mean in the few minutes we've been on this podcast already you'll have probably worked out 
I'm average on a good day. And it's a case of there's no way a 32-year-old head teacher and this 32-year-old head teacher was going to create the way through. But what we did do as a group of staff, again, alongside the kids, alongside some brilliant governors, was we had conversations about how we could do it. And we encouraged people to reimagine. And, and I've told this story loads of times, but I'll tell it again in case people haven't heard it. I remember telling the staff the situation we were in. I said, look, here are the finances. You know, this is a not a great position. And the staff was so great. And I remember the ladies in the front office, one of them put their hand up when I'd finished. And I just said yes. And they went uh, second class. And I'm looking around thinking, what, my presentation was second class? What, 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 what do you mean second class? And they went, oh, second class, Mr. Povey. We've just worked out that if we sent everything second class, we'll save 1,400 quid a year. Which was, I know it sounds a bit like a, a moment from a Disney movie, but it was because at that point then, everybody, everybody across the school was finding ways of dealing with this debt. And I never think leadership is about one person going in and sorting it all out um you know heaven forbid it certainly wouldn't have been me who'd have been that one person going in and trying to sort it out it was a group of people that really cared about something who were given that opportunity to create innovate try fail have fun and by doing that you can do incredible things and people want to go into work don't they and and matter people want to go into work and do something different people want to go into work and be part of a movement you know, that's why we were involved in religion for years. We wanted to be part of something big and special and still are today. That's why people follow sports teams. You know, we like being part of a tribe and being part of a team and a group. And I think that's what we need to do in leadership terms. Let those brilliant people who are coming into our businesses every day be brilliant. Encourage the brilliance. Get the ideas off everybody and put them into action and take our organisations forward whether that be a police force, an NHS trust, a big business, big PLC business, an SME, a sports team or a school. I think it's the same model we can use in each of those sectors to rip up the script and go again. I love that. And uh, this week I was, and I think it ties in like uh, ridiculously well. Uh, I, this last week I was at the National Achievers Congress in Birmingham. Oh, wow. Uh, it was it was amazing. Some great speakers, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, all that kind of crew. But uh, Russell Brand was on as well, and I thought, well, that's an interesting lineup. And 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 you, you, hopefully you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, he uh, he he talked about a few of his things around like his twelve steps and his recovery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He talked about mentors, and I know that that's where uh, I know that where we're where we're going in in terms of your thinking in that mentors and people invest in each other but he he just written a new book and uh, off the back of his conversation um i've got it and i've I've read most of it as well uh since yesterday but it says this uh he, he's the title is mentors and the subtitle is how to help and be helped and i think that's really like key into what you're saying there it's about mentors help people but it's that understanding about being helped as well and that we've got a responsibility to accept help as leaders and as and as followers but also to help others wherever we are in that journey and i think that's that's a that's a really important thing in, in terms of education as well oh ben honestly you are absolutely bang on you know you you can take a horse to water but you can't make it drink you know we, we need to be open to 
the learning that will come your way. And the amount of times I hear people say leadership is a lonely job. And I always think to myself, it's only lonely if you want it to be. True. You know, you 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 choose whether you engage people on it. I, I say this regularly on social media. Life is a team sport. Don't do it on your own because you don't have to. And actually get good people around you. And like most things, you know, if you stop and ask someone for directions, they will help you. They really will. And people like to help. And if we, as you say there, Ben, we're willing to be helped and we ask for help, there's great synergy there and people will get alongside you. And it doesn't have to be a relationship in terms of you meet up with them every couple of weeks and they, you know, go through a a specific session. There's podcasts out there like the stuff you guys are doing. I mean, I've learned a heck of a lot from listening to the stuff you guys have put out. Uh, There's books you can go and read. There's so much content out there. You know, don't do this on your own. Don't struggle and suffer in silence. Get out there and speak to people. And people want to share their ideas. People like getting alongside people. Creates great synergy. And, you know, I've been just finished. Daniel Coyle's book. I've been dying to read it for ages, but not got round to it, where he talks about culture, the culture code. And he says, you know, if you get the culture right, two and two can equal 10. And I absolutely believe that. If you get a group of people around you that are helping you and supporting you, you can do that thing called courage that we talked about earlier. But, you know, you can do some great things and work through some really difficult times by getting that support. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And and I suppose it's just a case of, in, in some senses, it's about admitting that you need help. Um, and that that's where Russell Brand came into, really. So he talked about his own addiction. He talked about how the first step, and I didn't think we'd get into this today, but the first step is about admitting that you need help. And uh, in leadership and in schools and education, all that kind of stuff, I think we need, uh, we, we, we need to really think around that concept of it's okay to put your hand up and say, I don't know this. And I suppose we're trying to get students to do that. And this is where it comes back to for me. We try and get students to be honest about where they are and about acknowledging their own, the progress they need to make. And then, and then for us as staff, we've got to do the same thing, haven't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence work, step one is self-awareness. You know, and it, you need to know what you are and who you are. And I do agree with what Rosa Beth Cantor said. You know, we've got to be helping young people with that self-leadership. Because as as we all know, the hardest person you'll ever lead ever is yourself. You know, trying trying to keep yourself on track. So it does start with self-awareness. That's the key point. And we've got to get our kids to be aware of who they are and what they are. And when that happens, you know, then you can go to the next phase of the emotional intelligence work, which is around self-management. You know, once you know what you're doing and kind of how you're doing it, how how do you manage that? Which, again, it comes down to a, a whole raft of different issues when we're talking about self-leadership. So I know somebody who went to go and see Russell Brand himself last week, uh, Tim Lodge, the Paralympic canoeist, and, and he said he was utterly brilliant talking about this exact thing. You know, confront the brutal facts, the Jim Collins stuff, look at what's happening learn from it and be really really aware yeah definitely can we go into a bit about you know we you mentioned um, mentorship and how it doesn't have to be a lonely thing leadership uh who mentored you when you you know because we said in the bio at the top of the show that you you one of the youngest head teachers 
in the UK. I mean, to become a head teacher of a secondary school at 32 years old is, is an amazing achievement. Uh, did you have anyone special who mentored you to get to that position and then when you were in that position? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was either great uh, achievement or complete naivety or maybe <laughs> even complete stupidity. I'm not, I'm not sure which of those. Maybe an amalgamation of, the, of, of all three. But I, but I was passionate about the school. I never wanted to be a head teacher, actually, um, because it was never something I really ever aspired to do. But, I, you know, I was in love with this school called Harrop. Oh, in terms of mentors for me, I, how long have you got? That would be a, a podcast within itself. You know, I've had great mentors through sport. A lot of the coaches who I work with in elite sport, you know, would would stand and talk, sit and talk, meet regularly, share ideas, share concepts, let me rabbit on to them about leadership and give me their view, look at some of the models I've been producing and try them out for me. You know, countless, countless people. Um, some brilliant governors at the school. Uh, one guy called Jim Schofield who was brilliant for me you know, really did take me under his wing. Um, he was has been a great mentor and I still speak to him regularly today. And really, for me, it's about learning from as many people as possible. And going back to Ben's point earlier, Dan, you know, he was saying, well, actually, if you ask for help, and actually, yeah, if you do say to people, oh, I'm looking at this at the moment, would you take a look? People will go, absolutely, I will not a problem and that i'd say that's nine times out of ten you get the odd person who's too busy or might have had a bad day off or whatever but you know i've had so many mentors over the years and so many brilliant ones who've invested time in me and believe that i could go on to bigger and better things and in in the leadership world you know i'd written these leadership models and thought they were good for me and i knew they worked in sport but you know there were a few people that gave me a shove to say this is good stuff through and you should be sharing it on a on a on a wider scale because it'll help leaders and you know when i didn't have the belief i managed to borrow their belief to go on and and share those ideas so it was key so mentors coaches everybody should get one at least one get as many as you can and go on that learning journey with them i'm really glad we're talking about this now because i've for the past few months um i've been thinking about this myself and there's someone who i've got in mind who I'm thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like them to be my mentor, um, but I'm just not sure if it's the right person. How do you know who's the right person for you? Just yeah. ask me, Dan. Just ask me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, who said that? <laughs> it was, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, how do you know it's the right one? Like the reimagine model, try and fail. You know, just, just, just go for it. And, I remember I was talking to uh, Tony Smith, the uh, rugby league coach, who was big at Leeds Rhinos, worked at Warrington Wolves at Hull KR at the moment. And I remember very early in my leadership career when we got talking about leadership, because he's a, a really good leadership thinker as well. And, and I remember him saying to me, you know, you'll learn something from everyone you work with. Some of that's good and what you should do, and some of it's bad and what you shouldn't do. But... Either way, you're going to learn. And I thought that is a great way to look at it. Yeah. And really, you have to go for it. You'll definitely pick something up, even if it's what not to do. And, and, and do you th- I think that's a really good point, that actually try and engage in mentor- mentorship with people that are actually outside of your zone a little bit. So it, rather than educators just being mentors for, for educators and leaders for leaders, actually maybe take a step back and actually speak to, to teachers 
to re-engage actually how they could mentor you around some of the curriculum design stuff that you're doing yeah oh yeah yeah i mean i i think learning outside the sector is one of the biggest competitive advantages you're getting in any business if they were to look outside of their sector they'll get some great things you know i was talking to somebody today who works within local authorities and they were talking about some of the goals that they set and i was talking about what they very often do in sport is that they will get people to analyze performance without knowing the end result because you are by you know if you win by a point or you lose by a point regardless of the sport if you win by the point you're much more positive about what happened in your analysis of performance than if you lose by a point and when i was sharing that with somebody who was working in the world of local authorities they were fascinated by that point they're like oh my goodness i hadn't thought about that because it's the way you analyze it there's learning to be had in all the sectors and like i said before no one sector has it all you know each sector has some really fantastic things that they do that they can share we just need to get people crossing the border if you like and going into another area and getting the learning journey happening you know, do you know what I think? Getting mentors outside of the sector, I couldn't. It, 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 it seems like an obvious thing. You said that about sport. They get psychologists in. They get um, people looking at marginal gains that are that are like, and and then people go and read a business book and think, do you know what? I can apply that. We're, we're reading. Uh, we've we all three of us have, have read the uh, Brewdog stuff. The uh, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, Brilliant business for punks, and we've like that has really shaped the way that we've we've thought about education and about building the movement that we're trying to build and and then you read something by uh by grant cardone or you read something by russell do you know, do you know what i mean and it, it shapes your thinking just a little bit you don't take everything away do you but you take things like the power of moment stuff chip and dan heath you hear all these things and you think that is relevant right now um, yeah and, and looking outside i think it's interesting as well thinking around how businesses can can uh, teach education I know you were saying about education teaching businesses, but I think as well about businesses um, teaching education. Things like um, where where we were going around, like you know, Google's have that twenty uh, percent time and yeah. giving giving people that passion project or giving people thinking space. Warren Buffett reading five five hundred to seven hundred pages of a book every day, of books every day. You know, do you know you think that is revolutionary, innovative thinking, isn't it? It is, and I think you, if you look at if if you look at anybody that that really goes for something and does something different, they were probably pushed into it. You know, so many people came to Harrop when when I was there, and have been to places where I am now, and they're going, "Oh my goodness, it's so innovative!" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but we were kind of forced into it." And and you know, whilst it was so difficult at the time. You know, one of those days where you're driving to work and you're thinking, I'll do a scrape my steering wheel, uh, head off the steering wheel. You manage to get yourself out the car, you get into work, your head hits your desk in your office and you're thinking, you know, how do we approach this? Because this is a really hard slog. That's actually a great um, fuel point in terms of helping you to look at different things. That was an energizer for me to say, I'm going to have to get out reading here. I'm going to have to get out learning. If we're going to get this to survive, it's going to push us exactly where um, Apple was, exactly where Lego were, you know, when they were in, in debt in the early 2000s. You know, there's so many examples of these companies that were in real dire straits, but it pushed them and gave them the impetus to go and look at something different. Then 
because they had to, they did. And very often the rest is history. And getting people looking at, like the Brewdog story is fantastic. I think David Price talked about that in his podcast, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a brilliant story. And it's that kind of thing we need to be reading about and that kind of thing we need to be sharing. But again, I'm, I'm going to keep banging the drum on this. Um, or shaking the tambourine because there's three RE teachers on a podcast. <laughs> 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 Ben's but, wearing, Ben, you're wearing your sandals, aren't you? <laughs> I actually am. I'm not sleeping a joke. I actually am. I hope you've got, I, I hope you've got white socks on underneath. I have. And I've got my me, uh, me rainbow strap, uh, guitar strap as well. I'm signing out right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to fininish this podcast with a round of come by R, aren't we? <laughs> And we did talk about earlier, I'm going to come in on the glockenspiel just to finish off. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. I, thought. I can't remember. <laughs> I think it would be good to, Drew, just to, I think if anyone's listened to this, hopefully they are. Um, <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to want to know where they can hear more from you. Um, and I know you've got uh, uh, one of your new books out is uh, the the talks about the factors of leadership um would do you want to just get into that you know you talk about the seven factors of leadership would you want to just get into that and maybe give us a bit of a, an overview of what those seven are in where people can pick that book up yeah i mean obviously you don't write books to make money because um, i think people still think you write a book to make money you don't you write a book because you're passionate about the content because I was in such a difficult place and I was so fortunate to have great people around me, great people that believed in me. Um, I've always been passionate, again, to help leaders um, and to get content out there, either on social media um, or doing podcasts, uh, you know, with, with people like yourselves to get the message out there. And of course, through through books as well. I'm hoping to do something online next year, but as you guys know from me trying to get on this podcast, uh, I'm not exactly the most technologically advanced uh, human being ever. For, for, for listeners who are uh, in, engaged in this podcast, I couldn't get my picture up, could a gents, or even get the damn thing on for about 20 minutes at the beginning of this. But um, I will do something because I'm passionate about getting messages out there. And the Leadership Factor book was a leadership model I'd started to produce. It's been about 12 years in the making. And basically, being um, the observer that I am in these various sectors, I've seen some great leaders, you know, from great leaders in sport, you know, spending time talking with people like Gareth Southgate, you know, what a great mind he's got on leadership and how he approaches culture. Uh, working with people like Martin Johnson at England Rugby Union, Warren Gatland at Wales Rugby Union. You know, being in and around sport, I've seen some great minds. I've seen some incredible educators, some amazing head teachers, some amazing CEOs of multi-academy trust. Having conversations with them and learning from them has, has been uh, crucial. Then seeing it in business, you know, Ian Hopkins, Chief of Police in Greater Manchester, you know, there is one of the best leaders I've ever come across. Um, what he did after the Manchester Arena attack was incredible. So by having all these views of leadership, I started to kind of look at, well, what is it the best leaders do? Because I have to break this down in my own head, which is kind of the coach in me and the teacher in me. I want to kind of create some kind of framework so we can look at what it is the best leaders do. And that was the whole idea behind the leadership factor. I wrote it with the utterly brilliant uh, Guardian journalist, ex-editor um, of Schools Week, Laura McInerney. And we really poured over this about, you know, 
how to write a book that will help as many people as we possibly can. The leadership model is basically around seven C's. And to quote Chip and Dan Heath again, you mentioned moments earlier, we wanted to do something that was made to stick. So it would kind of stick in people's heads. And again, I think teachers will probably get a lot of these quicker than a lot of the other sectors because they'll recognize that's what they do in the classroom because teachers do make great leaders. And uh, the seven are as follows. Number one, it's about the best leaders, I think, are curious people. They're always asking why, they're delving in, they're wanting to understand what's happening behind it. Take a, uh, a Jeff Bezos from Amazon as an example of that, you know, taking radios to bits. He just wanted to know how it worked and they don't take the first answer. They want to get into the detail. They want to get right down to what the heck has been going on here. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing leaders do, I think, is they build confidence. Now, when people first see confidence, they go, okay, leaders have got to be confident. And I say, well, actually, if you look at the Jim Collins research in Good to Great, Great by Choice, Built to Last, How the Mighty Fall, those great texts of his, you know, you don't have to be overly confident to be a leader. He talks about level five, stoic, quiet leaders. And if you look at Susan Cain's uh, work in, in the book, Quiet, you know, introverts are very often great leaders, actually. And it's not about the leader being confident, but it's about their ability to develop confidence and belief in other people. Uh, the third one is about collaboration, understanding the power of teams, which is an obvious one. But I think it washes over people a little bit too much. And we go, yeah, 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 there's a team dynamic, move on. Actually, understanding that quote I said before from Daniel Coyle, two and two can equal 10. You know, we just have to understand that we have to get our teams working in, in the right way. Uh, the fourth element is about charisma. And you can teach charisma. And most people go, you have to be charismatic. I think there's levels of charisma, but I think it's a skill that's learned. We have this idea that it's pixie dust sprinkled on a baby at birth and they suddenly are a charismatic person because it was their birthright. Actually, no, these are skills that you can learn to help people, whether it's public speaking or just their interactions in work. And the next element is change. I don't think like we were talking about earlier, a leader can just sit there and tick over. Um, I think some managers might be able to get away with that, but leaders can't. The sixth element is about connection. Leadership's a people sport. Leadership's about what we do with people and for people, that servant leadership idea, taking people towards um, an, an inspirational vision, which sounds twee, but it's true. So I think connection's key. And the final element is the element we talked about earlier, which is courage. So if you take the idea of curiosity, confidence building, collaboration, charisma, change, connection, and courage, I think you've got quite a nice roadmap into actually which elements are needed to be a top level leader. Not everybody is going to have, you know, be na have a, a point in their life when they're nailing all seven, but it's about being aware of which ones, which of those four, maybe five you are really strong at and how you can capitalize on that in your leadership life. And, and I think going into some of those, actually, when you create a team dynamic uh, and you're curious, actually, you can share that across a team and it doesn't have to be just you as a leader leading on some of those bits actually you can you can develop as a team that pitches in and, and helps out so it's not just you that's absolutely shattered and overburdened yeah i mean this is where i get slightly frustrated with the word empowerment like the word empowerment we tend to think that the people at the top who have all the power 
are going to give a little bit down to those beneath them and they can decide what color the walls are in the toilets or something else that's pretty irrelevant. Actually, no, this is about saying, look, you're better at that than I am. And we brought you into this organization, this team, because we think you're brilliant. Go away and be brilliant and nail it. Absolutely, that's what we should do. And again, sport gets that right. You know, sport gets that's really why. That's why players play in their specific positions. It's the idea of specificity in sport. As as you'll know, the principles of training, Stephen, from, from your background, it's that idea of actually know what people are good at. And the, the idea is, is a psychometric um, that Steve Oates was actually, uh, the, the, the guy who does the Vespa stuff, he was crucial in, in, in helping produce this psychometric, which has been normed now. And that is where people can do this psychometric and find out where they are in each of those seven Cs. And then they can use that self-awareness, Ben, that you were talking about earlier and build up and hopefully take themselves to the next level. Yeah, that's so you can get that on um, on Amazon. I've just just had a look there. So the leadership factor uh, by Drew Povey uh, available there. So yeah, go out and get it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean it's just there, as I said before. It's there to help leaders. And and I suppose Ben, going back to your point earlier, and and the point you raised, Dan, it's actually about it could be a mentoring tool, you know, and it actually could be used for you to mentor somebody else. Cause I do think that, you know, if you're meant, you're being mentored, that's brilliant. I love it. Fantastic. High five group hug. Well done. But actually are you handing it on? Are you passing it on to, are you paying it forward to other people? You know, who, who would you be able to help? Because like I said before, life's a team sport. We're all in it together. We should be helping each other out. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Drew, it's been uh, absolutely brilliant to have you on this evening. And I know that you there'll be loads that our listeners will be able to take out of this. I'm, I'm hoping that this is the start of a, 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 a few good podcasts with you and uh, be able to talk about some of this stuff again going forward. Thanks so much for coming on. No, listen, it's been my pleasure. There was a load of things we could have discussed today and would love to in the future. One of them being the whole idea of social capital, but that is definitely for another time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Cheers, Drew. Cheers.